Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Now... We have uh, Robbie Kane coming on the line now as well because the Dublin's um, Simon community, the home run, which is 40 years in the making, is taking place today. And Robbie Kane is over at the Phoenix Park to fill us in on everything that's going on over there at the moment as it's about to take place. Good morning, Robbie. How are you? And a very good morning to you, Reggie. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, Sunshine 106.8 FM is here in Dublin's Phoenix Park for the Dublin Simon home run. What is that I hear you say? Well, it's made of the Simon community and over the last 40 years it's been raising funds to provide emergency response, wraparound support and forever homes to people experiencing or who may become homeless in Dublin and surrounding uh, counties. Now, the registration was between 15 and 20 euro and over 1,200 participants are going to be running around the park today. It's an 8 kilometre run, Reggie. It started off 5k years ago like you and I could do but it's 8 kilometres now (laughs) And of course, everyone is here is, is actually looking forward to doing this today. Lots of families are here because it's not just all about the running, uh, the participants, because if you want to come down and support the families who are running or the people who are running in the race, you can do so. Because there's going to be a little kind of tented village, which I'm looking at here. And there's going to be music, there's going to be uh, food trucks, children's entertain- entertainment and lots of fun and frolics as well. Anyone who wants to donate can go on to the Simon Community website. If you want to do it now, it's at dubsimon.ie forward slash donate. But it's a bit of crack, a bit of fun. And what else would you be doing on a Saturday morning here in Dublin, Phoenix Park? And thankfully, Reggie, the weather has kept at bay. It's not raining yet, but um, it will probably come down sometime later on. Are you a good runner, Reggie? Uh, Walker would probably be more my style now at this stage, to be honest with you, Robbie. (laughs) I used to run a bit, but uh, those days are well gone. Uh, The hips and the knees aren't able for it. But I still wouldn't mind walking around if I was able to get down there. It's an absolutely worthy cause. And I suppose more so than ever, uh, homelessness is in the headlines every day. So the work that Simon are doing and the support that are needed is more important than ever. Oh, absolutely. And you see it on a daily basis. I mean, you just have to walk down the streets of Dublin and you see it right in front of your eyes. And to raise funds for this particular charity is amazing. And it's all about sustainability today as well. This year's running shirts are produced and recycled by water bottles. The medals for the participants are made from wood, harvested from the sustainability managed forests, and the lanyards for the medals are produced from recycled plastic. So it's all about going forward with the, uh, the obviously the environment, and of course, as you rightly said, it's all about raising funds for a much-needed cause. And no one knows when they're going to be homeless. It could happen to any of us. It could happen to you and I. We're working here at the moment, thank God, but who knows what's going to happen around the corner, and to do this today is absolutely amazing. Don't forget, though, we will be showcasing the live start of this particular Dublin Simon home run on Sunshine 106.8 Facebook page. If you want to tune in there, you'll be able to see the start of the race. Absolutely. Well, Robbie, the very best of luck for it. And as you said, it is a fun uh, run as well. So the people don't have to take this seriously. They can rock on down there at uh, at the big... I think it starts at half nine. Is that right? It does indeed. It kicks off at half nine from yeah. the Papal Cross. If you want to come down here to support the runners, please do. And as I mentioned before, there is a tented village here for afterwards with lots of food trucks, children's entertainment and live music. So it's going to be a fun day right up to 11 o'clock today here at Dublin Phoenix Park. And you'll be running with microphone in hand, I presume, Robbie, interviewing a few of the people that are partaking? Yes, I'm going to go to the start line now as soon as I finish here. We're going to do a bit of a live from the the tented area, then we're going to go to the start line and talk to a few of the participants. And I might even jog for a (laughs) kilometre or two. It depends what you what I mean, because I'm getting old now to see. So I might just be walking for a kilometre just to take part and to be involved. Excellent stuff. Okay, Robbie, well, uh, as always, great chatting to you. Good luck with that uh, and take care and we'll uh, call out to everybody and all of our listeners later on in the show as well to take part in that. Enjoy the day. Thanks, Reggie. God bless. Bye-bye. Dublin's Talking Sport. The Lucky 15.
on Dublin's Talking Sport. Well, good morning and welcome to the Dublin's Talking Sport Saturday Lucky 15, where our selections today go at Fairy House, the Cora, and Cross Channel at Newmarket. First selection up goes in the Irish Stallion Farms EBF Beginners Chase at Fairy House. 2.30 and we're going here for number three flanking manoeuvre. Flanking manoeuvre has had just a couple of career starts for an eight-year-old over hurdles and fences. He's a couple of runs last season over fences. Third to first time up to Churchstone Warrior and Maller Mission in the grade at 10 up novices chase over three miles at Navin. That was an excellent effort. And then jumping went a bit scoreways at Nace when chasing home journey with me. I just think that this horse is best caught fresh Noel Mead is capable of getting these fellas right and this fella has a bit of potential and I think can score under Mikey O'Sullivan. Second selection goes in the concluding bumper at Fairy House in the shape of number four, Arctic Gale. This contest at 5.25. The Mount of Jericho Conifer, the ultra shrewd Emmett Mullins yard was second behind my great mate at Ballybrish on the Monday evening bumper was heavily punted on that day but the Mead family owned runner I think can gain compensation this afternoon. Third selection goes at the 3.30 at the Curra. That's the listed Darley Irish EBF Bridges Pasture Stakes over six furlongs. And William Haggis sends over Pinafore from the UK to contest this contest. Pinafore is a three-time winner this season. Last effort was behind was beating Fantasy Master at Nottingham when coming through late and getting on top. The slightly stiffer six furlongs at the Curra is sure to play to this one's advantage. Chris Hayes takes the mount who was aboard the stables Lincoln winner Latam earlier this season at the Curra and I think this filly can take the prize back to the UK for William Haggis our fourth and final selection a nap of the four goes in the five o'clock race at Newmarket and I'm going here for number four Zuzana from the Harry and Roger Charlton yard at the mount of Oshin Murphy this Philly won her first race this season at Haydock when making virtually all under Richard Kingscott and quickening clear at Haydock and returned to the winner's enclosure last time out at Ascot, getting the better of Kim Katie and Starlight Nation. That was a good performance by Oshin Murphy's mount, who again was in the plate, as I said today. But Susanna is back among her own sex today. This is a Philly's only race. I think she'll show the benefit of that that contest at Ascot and can score here. That's the nap of my four. Number four, Susanna in the five o'clock at Newmarket. Dublin's Talking Sport. It's time for us to turn our attention now to NFL and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Stephen O'Brien. Tell me about all things that's happening. So uh, another international series game hitting London. This one might be entertaining. The Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the high-flying Buffalo Bills. Yeah, look, I mean, if you're a casual, you know, if you're not really interested in the NFL, you hear me coming on and waxing lyrical all about Packers. And then you tune in last week to that game against the Jaguars Falcons and you're like, this, this is it. This is the NFL, is it? Uh, So this one's actually worth watching, as you say. Um, Buffalo Bills, uh, they're actually seen as the home team, which is weird uh, in this game. Usually it's the Jaguars, kind of their home squad. Um, Now, does that matter for the International Series games? Not really, because it's not as if... You know, Reg, you'd be well used to it. You know, you have a home game, tug out for Leinster, go on out there and the crowd are behind you. Um, but look, yeah, it's the Buffalo Bills. They're Super Bowl contenders. Uh, they dispatched the Dolphins last week, 48 points to 20, which is bizarre because the Dolphins are sort of seen as one of the teams there as well. Um, so, yeah, definitely worth watching. It's going to be on ITV1, I believe, so it's free to air. And the Jags are not doing it too, too bad this season either. Um, and usually, as I say, they're the home team. It's a bit of a weird atmosphere because it's kind of like a Super Bowl atmosphere in the sense that there's loads of different sort of mixture of fans out there. But, you know, the European fans, UK fans, Irish fans and people who travel from everywhere, quite good at sort of quieting down when the other team are on uh, offense and all that kind of jazz. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, if you want to see some actual good football, um, tune in. But it just goes to show, Reg, the NFL is just pure bizarre because the Buffalo Bills, as they say, started off the season pretty bad they beat the Dolphins 48 to 20 um, and then you're kind of thinking like whoa that's double digits this team are absolutely legit um, and then we saw some sort of other bizarre headlines because I mean I thought you hung up on me at the beginning Red because of my act <laughs> was so poor that. last week um, because you know we bet on the Eagles to, to beat the other team heavily um, but it was a close game against the Commanders last week and then the Commanders come up against the Bears on Thursday Night Football the Bears are absolutely shocking 
and then the Bears beat them by 20 points. Um, and then the Broncos, who had been defeated the week before by 50 points, uh, go up against the Bears, and then they beat the Bears the week before. It's just bananas, is what I'm saying. So, you know, when you look at this international series game, should the uh, the Buffalo Bills win? Absolutely. But could it be close? I think it might be, actually, because of the way these teams match up and because it's on sort of neutral ground. But yeah, tune in. It's free. It's not to lose. Yeah, look forward to that one. We'll, uh, we'll we'll catch that at some stage between all of the rugby today. Um, now, some <laughs> yeah. some sad news. Legendary player and large and live character Dick Butkus passed away, aged eighty. Tell our listeners a little bit about Bill. Dick. Yeah, Dick Butkus. I mean, he sounds like the you know, Bart Simpson used to call Mo, and he used to say a fake name, <laughs> and he get him to say it out in the bar. That's what it sounds like here, Reg. I mean, just the you know, his name was strange. He was a strange character. Uh, came from uh, Lithuanian parents and just, uh, they call him the enforcer, you know, and you'd know from the sort of, you know, old rugby dinosaurs from who were leaving as you were coming in. Some of these guys were just larger than life, you know, like big massive characters. He was drafted by the Bears in 1965, but he was sort of the epitome of this old school hard-hitting football. And one player came out and the quote he had about him was, he was a well-conditioned animal. And every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. So that's the type of guy he was. So I know sort of everything's gone very PC and, you know, concussion protocols. And, you know, we had a scary thing that happened to Jamal Adams last week. Um, but he was the kind of guy he was. It was just, it was gritty football then. There was no real rules that you couldn't tackle the wide receivers, pass the line of scrimmage, all this type of stuff. He just used to knock um, the living daylights out of each other. But they got to show you how good he was and how much of a legend he was. He was called Mr. Football in Chicago. He was the guy, President Barack Obama, ex-president, came out and sort of gave him this glowing uh, tribute as well. Never won a Super Bowl, Reg. Mm. And usually, you know, that's what it takes. And as you know, in professional sports, sometimes to push someone over the edge into legendaries to win something big. Like when Lionel Messi won the World Cup, all of a sudden he was the best footballer over Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, and there's a debate there. But look, he defined the role as a middle linebacker. And when you have a sport that's over 100 years old and you have someone who comes in in the 60s, 70s, who defines that role. And the minute you think of a position, you go, that's that guy. And that's what Dick Buckus was. Mm. And to add to that, he was just a gruff character. He was just a grumpy old man. <laughs> he had a grumpy old Twitter account. Um, and he was in some movies. He sort of That's what happened to these players in the 60s and 70s. They didn't earn a lot of money. Yeah. So they went out and started doing films. So he was in, I think, The Longest Yard. He was in Any Given Sunday. So a larger-than-life character. And he was well... Well, he obviously he wasn't because he passed away. But, I mean, he was well in the sense that he was at that opener game um, against the Packers. And he was releasing videos on social media, I think, the day before he passed away. So... You know, he was 80, but it still comes as a shock, you know. Yeah, yeah great great movies too, as you mentioned there. Uh, I'll never forget um, Al Pacino in Any Given Sunday. What a, oh, what yeah. a monologue that was. Okay, um, we are seeing uh, star safety Jamal Adams for the Seahawks. Made the much-anticipated return, but it didn't yeah. last too long. Got injured in the game, is that right? Nine snaps, Reg. Nine well. Yeah, look, he, he tore his ACL or MCL. I can't remember which one. Um, and there was this injury and he's the star player. And when he comes in, he's a difference maker. So, you know, this is a guy, and you know yourself from contact sports, Reg. Like, I mean, you come away with some absolutely awful injuries. They're long-term. So this guy was out for a full year. He comes back in, nine snaps into the game. He takes a knee to the head and he's clearly concussed. And the guy was looked to be knocked out cold. Then he gets up and he's sort of stumbling around and he's helped off by medical staff. But he went viral because he's on the sidelines and there's a thing called an UNC, which is UNC, which is sort of an unaffiliated concussion doctor, basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because the team in years gone past, Reg, and the NFL get into a lot of trouble for concussion stuff, um, would sort of look at the player and go, right, you're grand, out you go again. So they have an independent guy now to sort of, you know, call the shots to say, no, you're not eligible. He quite clearly wasn't eligible. But Jamal Williams, or Jamal Adams, I should say, was on the sideline screaming at this guy um, and they were talking about, right, he's going to have to get fined now. It's a bad look for the NFL. You can't be screaming at the doctors on the sideline. But Adams came out yeah. and yeah, well, he put out an apology, Reg, in fairness to him and said, mm. look, obviously I wasn't in my right mind. I was concussed, you know, so <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, that's a good get out in fairness. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, in fairness, and the NFL are like, yeah, fair enough, you know, but um, it just goes to show, Reg, and you know more than anybody else when it comes to contact sports and concussions, like, as an athlete and at the level you perform that and the NFL players perform that, you know, the only thing that's in your mind, it's a one-track mind, you want to be out there with the lads, you want to be fighting hard, 
and you get in your own way. So it's good that they have these UNCs out there because otherwise they would have put him back out on the field, you know, and he would have been playing in days gone past. So to have someone who can step in and say, no, off you go into the locker room, you're out in concussion protocol, you need to save these players from themselves. Because even this season, Reds, there's been loads of stuff about the player will come out in the media and say, oh, I was ready to play. The coach wouldn't let me. You know, and then they ask the coach, well, he said he was healthy. What, what's going on? And he'd go, look, you have to save these players from themselves, for God's sake, because they're just, they're so competitive, they want to get out there. So, yeah, yeah it looks like he's going to skip the fine. Uh, he has a get-out-of-jail free card with, with that with being concussed, Reg. Uh, but yeah, a gruesome injury and just a really bad nine snaps. Can you imagine after a year's anticipation to come back? Yeah, uh, very, very sad to, that when that happens. Okay, uh, moving on to the Raiders. I need to know, are they going to bounce back quickly? And then you got to give me the ACA as well for this week. Right, I'm on the buzzer. Uh, yeah, the Packers come up Monday Night Football. It's been a long layoff. You can't slag me off with the Packers losing this week because they haven't played yet since Thursday Night Football the last time. Uh, should they win? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're so mean. Uh, should they win? Yes. However, they're without their left tackle, Dave Bakhtiari, for the season. He came out and said, but the thing is, look, the Raiders have Max Crosby. He's a game wrecker on defense. They've Devontae Adams, the ex-Packer, on offense. So are they enough to make the Raiders get over the line? I don't think so. They have a rookie quarterback who likes to throw it to the other team, so we will gladly receive. So, And as well, a weird thing there as well is that there's two brothers playing in this game, both as kicker for each team, so they face off against each other. So I expect the Packers to win. Am I confident enough to put them in my ACA? No. So let's get on to the ACA, Reg. It's mm-hmm. a 6-1, to one, 10 or down, 70 back. Uh, so it's the Ravens coming up against the Steelers, uh, minus 4.5 surprised that the spread is so small so that's a gimme for me which means it's definitely going to lose uh, the Dolphins come up against the Giants Giants awful uh, Dolphins should be high flying uh, that's minus 11.5 never like playing the spread that high but you know the Giants are just that bad and then the Panthers uh, game and the Lions game so I picked the Lions to, to win that one as well because the Panthers haven't won a game all season Excellent stuff okay interesting you're going with the Dolphins at minus 11.5 considering last week as you mentioned but anyway we'll see how that unfolds uh, and I notice you're uh, yeah you're reducing the amount in there as well to try and make the ACA happen but I'm sure it will I have faith in you I have oh, yeah. faith Absolutely. Stephen as always a pleasure and we'll catch up with you again next week Cheers Reg Dublin's Talking Sport now, uh, it's an incredibly exciting weekend for all Irish rugby fans. Nervous times as well, though, it has to be said. We were nervous against South Africa. I think we're even more nervous now against um, Scotland later on this evening. But I'm confident. I'm feeling good about it. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line also by Will Slattery, who no doubt is probably feeling confident too. Good morning, Will. How are you? Hi, Reggie. How are you? Yeah, very confident. <laughs> very confident. I'd like to hear. Before we get into the, the rugby uh, in full detail, Will, um, your podcast, The Left Wing, of course, with Luke Fitzgerald, you're going live, I, I saw, uh, during the week. So tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure lots of our listeners would be interested in that. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so we're doing a live show in the Olympia Theatre. Myself, Luke, Stephen Ferris, and Bernard Jackman on October 19th. If you go to Ticketmaster.ie and type in the left wing, you'll find all the details for that in terms of how to get tickets. It is before the World Cup semi-final, so we're maybe tending fate slightly. Uh, so, fingers crossed, Ireland are still in the tournament at that stage, and it'll be a really good night. You know, dissecting hopefully an Ireland semi-final appearance, looking back on the quarter-finals and all the other World Cup talking points. So, anyone who enjoys the podcast or enjoys uh, my slot on Sunshine, I'd really encourage you and hope to see a lot of you there in the night. Absolutely, well, uh, no doubt it'll be a fantastic night, and uh, everyone looking forward to that one. Okay, another fantastic night ahead of us later on uh, this evening. Um, Glad to hear you're feeling as confident as I am. Uh, a lot of people not, though. I mean, I don't know. Is it the is it the typical Irish thing of where we're just that little bit afraid to be confident and sometimes bring out the negativity? Uh, I don't see why. I mean, we're number one in the world. We've beaten the world champions. We've taken care of Scotland in most of our most recent matches. Why are people nervous? Well, it's funny, but you know, as, as confident as I might be feeling or you might be feeling, it doesn't seem to be anywhere close to how confident Scotland are feeling coming into this game, which is a recurring theme when it comes to Scotland-Ireland clashes. Like, I, I've been kind of flabbergasted by some of the comments coming out of their camp, to be honest. Blair Kinghorn was the latest one yesterday, just saying Ireland are on a good run, we're going to end that on, on Saturday night. Their sub-booker Ewan Ashman had a similarly bullish comment after the Romania match. Gregor Towns has been talking them all up and... I think if I hear a Scottish player say we can beat any team in the world in our day one more time, I'm going to scream because the facts do not back up their confidence in any way, shape or form. They've lost eight in a row to Ireland. They've never beaten the All Blacks. They haven't beaten South Africa since 2010. 
So the three of the big beasts, of, of the four big beasts in this tournament, they have an absolutely woeful record against. They haven't even played well at this tournament, I don't think, either. They were you know, they were three points down at halftime against South Africa. Their pack got obliterated in the second half. They were very patchy against Tonga. Yes, they put Romania to the sword, but would anyone would put Romania to the sword. Yeah. You know, I, I, just, I just don't see where their confidence is coming from, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be overly worried if I was an Irish supporter. Andy Farr must have been loving the noise coming out of the Scotland camp. What a way to focus his players' minds, just to show them some of these comments and say, this is what they think of you. They think they can just rock up and beat you if they play their game, not give you any notice. So I, I think it's actually set up really well for Ireland, and I'm expecting them to come out really hungry, really fired up, and, and deliver a very ruthless performance. There's no doubt there are some uh, dangers in that back line. Finn Russell, obviously uh, an incredible incredible player and can turn it on uh, Dwayne van der Merve a, a, a wonderful winger strong uh, Tui Paluto as well I mean there, there are names there in, in the back line that can do damage should they be allowed but they've got to get the ball first and I don't know their pack just don't seem to have it for me yeah, I agree completely. Like, yeah, like no one would look at that background and say it doesn't contain a multitude of extremely dangerous, talented running threats. Some of the best in the world, I would say, like Darcy Graham, Duan van der Merwe, that centre partnership with you mentioned Tui Pilato and Hugh Jones, kind of lit up the Six Nations. Finn Russell, we all know what he can do, but it's that forward pack that I just don't think they'll get any traction against this Irish team. There's not a single forward. I think that would even make the Ireland 23, let alone the starting team. They've gone for a 6-2 split. But if you see, look at the six two, sorry, the six forwards they picked. Like, there's not much ballast coming off the bench there compared to what Ireland can spring in the second half. So that would be a, a major concern of mine. And you know, Finn Russell is a funny one. Like, like a lot of people in the UK have him on a massive pedestal. You know, I saw people during the week saying he's better than Johnny Sexton, or they'd rather have him in the team than Johnny Sexton. No doubt he can pick any pass he, he desires. But I still have massive questions over his ability to deliver in big matches in terms of from a mental. You know, perspective. He seems to blow up quite a lot, and then it cuts to him when he's smirking or smiling, like, "Oh God, how did that go wrong?" Like, I, I'd, I'd love to see what he would be like if he was the Ireland out half, because I don't think he'd get as much rope from Irish supporters as he does from the Scots. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the pack for me is an area where I expect Ireland to, to really, really squeeze him and get on top. It might not be as free flowing from an Irish perspective as we ordinarily see, because I think they really feel they can target them in the forward area. And of course, looking at that, seeing Dan Sheen coming back in there to that starting lineup, a huge boost as well. Uh, a fantastic ball carrier. I mean, we're we're quite blessed when they're all fit and healthy uh, in that hooker position at the moment. But I think a lot of people very very happy to see Sheen uh, making that start. Oh, for sure, he's the best hooker in the world. I would say on form. You know, obviously he missed a, you know a good bit of game time after getting that foot injury, but having him back is absolutely massive for Ireland's aspirations of going on and winning this tournament. You know, when it was first mooted that he was going to be out, it looked like he might be out for the whole tournament, which would have been a hammer blow. But not only is he fantastic in the loose, I think his, his, his line-out throwing, I think, is, is stronger than Ronan Catterhurst too. That's a part of tonight, even if Ireland do win, that I'll be really, really intrigued to see if they've kind of nailed down the line-out area. Now, obviously, South Africa's defensive line-out would be a lot superior to Scotland's. But at the same time, even in some of the other matches, Ireland's line-out has misfired a little bit. So I think it's really important, you know, regardless of the result, obviously you want to win. But like the line-out going forward in this tournament needs to function if Ireland are going to win this World Cup. So today is the first day they've really had a chance, obviously, since South Africa right that uh, line of performance so I'll be interested if, if Sheehan's presence his throwing can sharpen that up a bit because it's going to be vital You know a lot of talk has made about the South African bench and the impact they can make you mentioned it already and I think it's huge the Irish bench very very strong today in my opinion they've gone with uh, Henderson in the second row which again isn't going to weaken anything he's been performing well um, but it means that you've got James Ryan on the bench so you've got Ryan uh, Kelleher and Conan as three obvious impact players to come on from that bench and then Bealham and Kilcoyne can come on as well and have done excellently in their roles too so that's a very strong um, uh, group of forwards to be able to bring on you know for a team like Scotland who maybe will put up a strong battle for 50, 60 minutes, uh, but then, you know, get fi- finish off the job. Yeah, for sure. And like, just as getting Dan Sheehan back is massive. Getting Jack Conan back is huge. Like, he hasn't played since the August Bank Holiday weekend. It's a testament to how highly they rate him that they've kept him around this long because, he, you know, he's only back fit enough for the final pool match. So there was three World Cup matches that he was basically on ice for. He's, he's a massive boost to have there. Like, as you mentioned, they're three world class, impactful forwards like Kelleher's line of throwing was a bit wayward against South Africa. But you saw even the first play, like, he absolutely smashed Damien, the, the, uh, sorry, Damien Williams, so with a dump tackle. 
that's the kind of power he brings off the bench. And then even the backline substitutes, I think, are, are really valuable too. Conor Murray, I thought, was brilliant against South Africa. I thought he was actually a little unlucky not to get the start, actually, um, tonight, because I thought Gibson Park didn't have his best game. Obviously, Henshaw is a major loss, but Sumer Kluski, you know, another big, powerful option. And like Andy Farrell is one of the few coaches who sele- likes to select a centre in that 23 slot. But it's all it's paid massive dividend. New Zealand tour in particular over those, over those winning two tests, uh, the second and third test, having that you know powerful centre on the bench, you know, was really really important. Uh, you know, in, in those second halves. So yeah, I, I think Ireland have the best bench in the tournament. Arguably, obviously, South Africa have a more powerful bench, and depending on how the game is going. That probably maybe edges it, but in terms of horses for courses, I think Ireland have a much more versatile, powerful, and impactful bench than any team in the tournament, and I think it will make a major impact tonight. Big note for tonight: Peter O'Mahony making his 100th appearance for Ireland, an absolutely incredible record when he takes the pitch tonight. And uh, you know, considering a couple of years ago there was many people calling for him to hang up the boots, and he, you know that his career is finished, he's proved absolutely everybody who, who was in that camp wrong and come back stronger than ever in the last couple of seasons. And you know, been the, probably the first name on that team sheet now. An incredible uh, career that he's had over 11 uh, years and uh, making that hundredth cap tonight. Some, some achievement. Massive achievement. The 10th Irish player to get 100 caps. And I think I saw Alan Quinlan say 100 caps for a back row is like 200 caps in reality, given <laughs> the, the punishment you take uh, in there. The first Irish back row to get 100 caps, and when you consider the stalwarts that we've had in that uh, area, in, in the professional area anyway, it's, it's a testament to his staying power. Like, he's been there for over 10 years, you know, in and about either the starting team or in the 23. He's such a tone setter for the team. Yes, he has, like, tangible skills, great line-out operator. His carrying's improved massively. He's a real physical presence. But he does bring that in tangible kind of just that kind of dog of war mentality that we don't really have that many players like that like we have a you know a relatively kind of quiet team that goes about their business so from a leadership perspective I think he's vital he's just one of those classic characters like those monster characters that we would have watched you know in their heyday you know Mick Galway Peter Clossy he is cut from the exact same cloth and I think people really respond to that you know he's he's probably one of those beloved players in the team it's a great moment and it's nice that he gets it in, 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 so in a game like tonight where Ireland are expected to maybe win so he can get maybe get a little personal moment as well. Whereas if it was in a, in the Sadafra game, all focus was on you know the, the game and, and all that. But it's nice to see he's gotten a lot of nice tributes uh, already. Yeah, and he's still a vital player in the team. Like he's not going anywhere anytime soon either, which is which is a great thing for Ireland. And he, and he also had a great club season as well. Finally getting his hands on a trophy for months or so. It's been a it's been an unbelievable couple of months for him. Absolutely, absolutely. I saw Mike Ross referring to him as being as cranky as ever. I think that's uh, always going to be what's associated with him. But that cranky has got him to where he is now and that sense of uh, drive and wanting to succeed has, has brought him to 100 caps and it's incredible and don't mind Quinny talking about back rows try the front row Quinny if you want to talk about wars of attrition then you know what caps are all about but um, looking at the other games then uh, and other performances I mean we're very hopeful, so we're thinking about New Zealand in the quarterfinals who, who will be our opponents when we top this group and I say when because I'm that confident Um I've been impressed with how they've sort of turned it around a little bit, uh, New Zealand. I know they haven't been up against much in terms of opposition. Certainly Italy have been the massive disappointment uh, in this tournament. But they're stringing some good stuff together and uh, they're playing with a lot of confidence and they're by no means uh, uh, throwing away any uh, thoughts of winning this tournament. So um, were you impressed with New Zealand and how they've changed things around a bit? Well, like... Look at the opposition they played. You know, like I don't think you can discount how weak the teams they played have been. Like people have almost overlooked the fact that they they lost by sixteen points in the opening game of the tournament, or fourteen points in the opening game of the tournament. So in this tournament, they've already been blown out. So the idea that they're now this swashbuckling, conquering all blacks of old, I just don't agree with. I actually think it plays nicely into Ireland's preparation if they do go on and beat beat Scotland because the mood music has definitely shifted. The confidence of Ireland beating. New Zealand has ebbed away a little bit. I just even know being in WhatsApp groups as the tries have been ran in over the last two Friday nights or Thursday and Friday night, you know, people getting worried and anxious. And I can see why. Like, if you give this All Blacks team time and space, they're still capable of putting teams to the sword and winning massively. Obviously, Joe Schmidt in the camp, he'll know Ireland well. But since, I think, November 2021, Ireland have beaten New Zealand by double digits twice. They beat them by nine points. France have beaten them by double digits twice. South Africa have beaten them by double digits twice. So when they've had to step up to the very top echelon of the of the South Africa-France-Ireland triumvirate, 
They have beaten South Africa as well twice, but they've also been blown out by double digits. What did I mean? Five, six times there and also lost by nine points. That's unheard of. That's only in the last two years as well. Mm -hmm. So I still would be confident of Ireland getting the job done. I think it's a good matchup. And similarly, it's funny to say this about a New Zealand team. I think it's in the forward pack that Ireland have a real edge on them. Their back line is still full of, you know, unbelievable talents, pacey, slick, you know, operators. But it's that pack especially the front row that I, will, I think Ireland have a major edge in. And bar Ardy Sevilla, I like, I like our chances in the back row as well. Obviously, the All Blacks are the All Blacks. They will come with a bulletproof confidence because of their history. But I think Ireland should be favoured if that matchup comes to pass. And I like the matchup and I think Ireland beat them if they play them. Excellent stuff, yeah. I would agree with you on that. OK, um, on the other side, and who we might get to, should we uh, do as you and I feel, uh, beat the All Blacks, is very intriguing, I have to say. Pool D, the England team, you know, they've, they've done their job, so they're fine. But the Argentina-Japan game tomorrow morning, this is really intriguing. Now, I expect Argentina to get the result. But that being said, they have been very underwhelming so far in this tournament. And Japan have been known to cause an upset. This one tomorrow morning should be an absolute cracker. Yeah, it really wouldn't surprise me if Japan turned them over. I've actually watched all three Argentina games so far. They've been the second most disappointing team after Australia. So they're kind of lucky that Eddie Jones and Australia completely malfunctioned because Argentina, a lot of people were tipping them to make a semi-final run and obviously they still could, but I think they've been absolutely woeful. I think Warren Gallon will be licking his lips, you know, at either of those matchups. And, you know, because Argentina just do not look at the races. Like, they're out half situation. Interesting to see Nicolas Sanchez came back against Chile and it was only Chile, but he offered them a lot more direction. They've been going with Santiago Carreras up to now who is like a really pacey guy, but he plays as a winger and full-back a lot with Gloucester, so he's not like they're... They usually have like kind of a field general out-half that can direct them around the pitch. Sanchez, before that, Contapomi, Hernandez as well, who've been really successful for them. So I think they should go back to Nicolas Sanchez if it gets to the quarter-final stage, because I think he is a much better kind of game manager than Carreras. But I actually really think Japan could pose an upset. I saw them against Samoa. It was a similar game to Argentina Samoa. They didn't win by a huge amount in the end, but they were far better. They looked slick. Their handling was crisp. Yeah, and, and they're a big underdog. I think it's a 13-point handicap, which I just don't understand at all. So, yeah, I'd actually keep my eye on a potential upset there. What about the, uh, uh, you know, connotations? If, if, let's say, Fiji, who I expect to beat Portugal tomorrow, comes second in that group, we're potentially looking at them taking on England. I mean, there's no guarantees they won't do it again to England. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Yeah. I, Fiji, like they're they're no, they are a good team. Like they like they had obviously two good results. They great, you know, almost beat Wales when they beat Australia. And England aren't playing great rugby, but they do seem to have settled down a little bit. They've grown into the tournament. They beat Argentina comprehensively. George Ford is playing really good rugby. And like speaking of field generals, the way Borwick wants to play, like George Ford is like tailor made to that style. He's playing with real confidence. I'm actually intrigued to see against Samoa now how this forward file to a laggy access looks after I think it's been in cold storage for two and a half years so mm. how that goes could really dictate how far they go in the tournament I feel like they're just trying to shoehorn Owen Farrell back into the team because he's the captain George Ford's the format half I don't know if that access still works as well as it did I know they got to the World Cup final with it but that's a long 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 time ago so I'm intrigued for that reason to see the Samoa game England have improved a little bit. Like they have, but they haven't been tested with. Sorry for cutting across. They haven't no. really been tested. That group has been appalling, if you think about it. You know, Samoa have been disappointing for me. Japan have been okay. Argentina have been very disappointing, and Chile are what they are. Uh, so, like, they've gotten to top that group, but they've improved a little bit. But as you, you know, as you, as you mentioned in in you know the, the, the likes of Scotland and other groups, they're up against nothing. You know, they really are up against nothing. So, uh, you know. They haven't really been tested, and if Fiji were to meet them, I could easily see Fiji getting it done. I, I just find it hard to see Fiji taking that scalp in the quarterfinals. To be honest, I just mm. I, I don't I know they won the warm game, but it just just mentally, I find it a hard bridge to jump for the England. I know they've been bad, but I still think they have enough to win that game. And then I would expect them to get pumped in the semi-final by either France or South Africa because they're like way off that level. But yeah. I still think they have enough in the tank. And it's actually mostly because I think George Ford has been playing so well. I actually, like that, that job goal masterclass in the first game was really impressive. Even when he came off the bench against Chile, I know it was against Chile, but I thought he looked really sharp. I thought he looked sharper than Owen Farrell did. Mm. Um, so I, I still think they have just enough to get to a World Cup semi-final. 
But as you said, like the path that they're trotting is just so easy compared to what Ireland are doing. Likewise, if Wales get to a semi-final and end up playing whoever wins Ireland and New Zealand, like it's just chalk and cheese in terms yeah. of the difficulty level. But that's the draw. And like to be fair, Wales have you know have regrouped really well from what was a, de- a terrible Six Nations. They look actually like you know a decent outfit now. Like they like all of a sudden the team sheet doesn't look quite as grim to me as it did you know a couple of months ago. And Gang Gatland has kind of pulled another rabbit out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, but not in the most difficult of groups as things have turned out. Okay, Will, uh, as always, uh, absolutely fantastic talking to you. I really am looking forward to later on tonight. Um, and we'll catch up with you again next week, hopefully to uh, celebrate and talk about what uh, what lies ahead. Thanks, Reggie. Dublin's Talking Sport. Now I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Declan Drake and Sean Lane. Yes indeed Reggie the uh, first of the go-ahead senior championship finals took place in the county last night the ladies club final between Kilmacud Croaks and Nafina at uh, Parnell Park. Uh, we'll have reaction from that coming up shortly in the section with uh, Emer Sweeney the successful captain last night hurling Kilmacud Croaks the defending county champions were beaten last week by Nafina at the quarter final stage Sean Lane is in studio with us to uh, review uh, those uh, two games including the Bowden victory over Kula as well and of course it's semi-final weekend in the Senior 1 Football Championship taking place this afternoon and tomorrow at Parnell Park Brian Talty will be joining me to cast his eye over those particular events some news now, of course, Desi Farrell, breaking news last night, has been reappointed as Dublin Senior Football Manager until the end of the 2025 season. The Nafina clubman leading the county to his second All-Ireland title with that great victory over Kerry at Croke Park in July. So two more years of Desi. Congratulations to him on his reappointment. Brian Talty will have something to uh, say about that, I'm sure, a little bit later as well. The Friends of Dublin Hurling Annual Awards Ceremony takes place on Friday, November the 24th at the Bonington Hotel in Drumcondra. A great awards night for hurling and camogie. Further details of what is always a fantastic evening for the small ball faithful from 087 279 7090. And thanks indeed to Rooney Mori Scully for the information on that. So, to hurling. And last week, the quarterfinals of the Senior One Championship took place at Parnell Park. And the big news is that we will have new county champions in 2023. Thanks to Nafina's 4.15 to 1.22 last four success over defending champions Kilmacud Croaks. AJ Murphy grabbing all the headlines with 3-3 for his afternoon at the Nail. Sean Lane, hurling analyst, joins us in the studio this morning to reflect on that, and also Ballyboden's win over Kula. Sean, the old adage is, if first you don't succeed, try and try again. That's what Nafina did, and they finally got over the line with that great victory last week. Yeah, Declan, they certainly did, and you know, they're, they're not there, not home yet, but that is their tour time playing um, Croaks, and we'll all remember the first time they played them, they left a 10-point you know, lead go very near the end. But uh, a tremendous game um, uh, on Sunday. Uh, Nafina came right out of the blocks and led by seven points at halftime and deservedly so. Ronan Hayes was sitting on the bench for Croaks and you know uh, he, he was introduced and scored 1-3. You'd often, you'll have to question that back in, in, in Glenalbyn when they sit down for the winter. But uh, AJ Murphy definitely um, stole the show. Three goals and three points, Declan. He was absolutely outstanding. They were well-deserving winners. It got tight. Croaks came all the way back from seven points down and, and drew level going into added time. But uh, AJ stood up and, and got another goal. And, and uh, you know, it was great, great for the FINA. But Declan, you know, they're not home yet. There's still two games left and they're playing Luke in the next day out Charlie Carter's crowd. And we'll talk more about that next week. But, you know, well done to the FINA. And you have to say about Croaks, they died with their boots on. They didn't play well the first half, but they came all the way back and drew level. And, you know, could have stolen it at the end too. I thought particularly of the late great Jimmy Gray last uh, Sunday evening and how much he would have relished that occasion in, in Parnell Park. And, you know, looking down and seeing the seat empty there, you know, it's a, it was a poignant uh, moment, I'm sure, for um, the Gray family who will be delighted with that success for Nafina. But, yeah, more about uh, their semi-final clash with Luke and Sarah's next weekend on the programme. But the other quarter-final last week, saw the league champions Ballyboden St Enders advance to the last four to take on St Vincent's 225 to 121 victors over Kula you predicted a Bowden win last week so congratulations to you for that um, are you surprised with the, the winning margin in the end? I actually I, I'm not and, and I think the, the, the margin flatters Kula um, and they won't like me saying that but 
I, I think it did. I mean, Bowden came right out of the traps. They were 2-8 or 2-9 to a couple of points up. Um, and they'd no why Declan for 22 or 23 minutes. They were really sharp. They were really efficient in their uh, shooting and their selection from where they shot from. They were really, really good. Um, you know, they're 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 a dangerous team. They're left there. They're Vinny's next, which won't be easy under Pat Gilroy. But on the day, I mean, their back line, the, the two stalwarts, Simon Lambert and Shane Dorkin, they were absolutely outstanding. And up front... Niall McMurray and, and, and Paul Ryan in particular he scored 111 Declan you know he's just a, a wizard um, fantastic but uh, no surprise to me the result but two mouth-watering semi-finals to look forward and, and I know we'll cover them next week Yes they certainly are Vincent's versus Bally Bowden St. Enders and Luke and Saras <laughs> versus Nafina both of those at Parnell Park next Sunday and indeed as Sean says we'll have an extensive preview of those two games on the programme next Saturday morning Next Friday night is a huge night for Camogie in the capital because the go-ahead Senior Championship Final takes place at half past seven. St Vincent's taking on St Jude's. Vincent's winners over Oliver Plunkett's own Rua in the last four. Jude's seeing off their near neighbours Ballyboden St Enders. We had a cracking football final last night between Kilmacud and the Fianna Cross Liffey battle. Same next week. Can we expect a similar level of intensity and quality from the game? Absolutely Declan and, and look it's no surprise that Jude's and Vincent's are there over the last five or six years. They've won all the county championships between them but but um, you know Jude's have a little bit of a hoodoo on Vincent's you know at this time Vincent's won three in a row going back 15, 16 and 17 but, uh, you know, Jude's, I was very surprised in the manner in which Jude's beat Bowden 3.15 to 9 points. You know, Faye McCarthy's book out was legendary, but Hannah Hegarty and the Gannon sisters will be delighted to be there. On the other side, Vincent's just did what had to be done. You know, Plunkett's under John Murphy, they're definitely improving. I, I, as I said, I saw them playing Ballantyre and they were very, very impressive. But Ashling Marr and Dee Johnson at full-back now for Vinnie's, um, I think that's going to be a cracker and it's one game that I certainly won't miss. Southside's success in the football last night. It'd be interesting to see if it can be a Southside double next Friday night. Really looking forward to that occasion under the lights at the Nell and uh, a busy weekend indeed coming up with those two hurling semi-finals as well. Sean, thank you very much indeed for your company on that this morning. Look forward to going through the semi-finals with you in some detail next week. Well, we mentioned the ladies' final. It took place at Parnell Park last night and Kilmacud Croaks were looking for back-to-back titles as they took on Nafina and they got there in the end. Two goals and 12 points to three goals and four. Storming second-half comeback by Nafina just falling short on the night. Well, as is customary, Declan makes his way onto the Parnell Park pitch after county finals. And last night was delighted to meet Emer Sweeney, the captain of the victorious Kilmacud Croaks team. And she agreed the feeling of back-to-back county champions was a sweet one to hear on a Friday night. It's absolutely brilliant. Dreams come true here. I mean, the first one was amazing, but to come out and do it again was just absolutely fantastic. The team were brilliant. Every single player from 1 to 30 all made an impact here tonight, on and off the pitch, so it was absolutely brilliant from them. Your management must have been particularly happy at halftime because you got a dream start, you kicked on and it built up a comfortable position at halftime. Yeah, we were um, going into the change room positive at halftime and we couldn't have asked for anything better. We knew Nafina were going to come out to us again in the second half and really come at us and they, that's exactly what they did. And they came out, to, brought it back into three points at one point, so it was a tough going second half, definitely. What were the biggest ingredients, do you think, in the victory overall tonight? Um, I think mentally was a huge factor, just making sure that we, we stuck, stuck to our game plan and we just kept the positive encouragement going. Nafina had their purple patch, they were popping the points over, getting the goals, three goals. We just made sure that it doesn't get to us. Keep our game plan, keep on going and taking our points over. Yellow cards, red card as well for, for Laura McGee. I don't know how much you saw but yourself, but that seemed to, to spur you on. Yeah, I mean, we have to deal with the situation that arrive on the pitch. So, it's uh, again, it's come back to our mental state. We just take it as it is. We do what we can, what we're, what we're given with at the time. So, the girls did an absolutely amazing job playing with two players down, one player down from time to time. So, well done to them. Finally, this is not something that's probably going to bother you for a few days, or maybe a week or so yet. But uh, last year, you had a fantastic county victory. You won a Leinster title. It was all virgin territory, if you like, for the team. You've got that experience now behind you, and you've got hunger to do more and go perhaps a little bit further this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the last year was just extremely fun. We've just kept taking one match at a time and just we were so happy to be there we'll do the same this year I mean to win a county final is our goal from the year so to get that far we're absolutely delighted with that so we'll just keep on going match after match and see how far we get well, Congratulations you're still county champions and you'll be sure you'll be hoping that your men's footballers will still be county champions tomorrow evening as well Exactly yeah we'll be out in support tomorrow in our purple and gold for sure well, yeah. Thank you Eimear Thank you 
Uh, congratulations there to Emer Sweeney and her Kilmacud Crokes colleagues on back-to-back county titles. Ava Rutledge, player of the match in that. Well, the goals were scored, by the way, by Neve Cotter and Mia Jennings, two members of the half-forward line. Well, towards the end of that interview there, we mentioned the Kilmacud Crokes men, and they are out this evening in the first of the Senior One Football Championship semi-finals. The Dublin, Leinster and All-Ireland champions putting their three titles on the line against the men from Rohini. No better man than Brian Talty to look ahead to that and tomorrow's semi-final between Ballyboden and St. Jude's a very good morning Tals good morning Dickie how are you Ash you're buzzing Brian absolutely <laughs> buzzing for a blockbuster weekend of football yeah. but before we get into the nitty gritty of that your reaction to Desi Farrell's reappointment as Dublin manager last night for two more years absolutely delighted for Desi uh, and that he's kind of taking it on again for another two years he took it at a difficult time Declan it's it's uh, it's very hard to come in after a manager has won five or six All-Irelands, you know. So uh, Desi took it on then, and, and, and uh, he's driven it on, and he's, he's, made the, he's made the decisions that needed to be made, like the likes of bringing uh, the lads back, bringing Paddy Gilroy back into it. It just shows you it's not about an ego, it's about Dublin, and uh, fair play to Desi. Delighted that he's back there again and, and looking forward to the year ahead. Yeah, I think it's good business by the county board to get it done early. As well, I mean, there's a lot of speculation might have been floating around the place as well, and we know how dangerous it is to to fill a vacuum, and uh, there's no problem filling it in Dublin GA with, with rumour, that's for sure. So he can now focus on the re- remainder of the club championship, and uh, of course preparing Dublin for a return to Division One of the Allianz National Football League next year. But our main focus, Brian, for the next few minutes is these two championship semi-finals. As I say, Croaks triple champions versus Rohini 4.45 this evening at Parnell Park. Croaks topping Group 2 beat Ballymun by four points in the quarter-final. Uh, but I have to say, talking about Rohini first, if you look at where they were this time last year in a relegation playoff to a county semi-final in 12 months, how do you explain such a transformation? Uh, the split season, Dickie. Simple as that, like they've had their county players, uh, like Brian Fenton didn't play last year. Brian Fenton was gone away last year, didn't play a championship. I think Brian Howard was injured as well. So these fellas are vitally important and they're vitally important to have around when it comes to training and lifting the intensity and training and that. And it's, it's very, very obvious that Brian Fenton is really pushing it this year. But he has a good ally in, in, uh, in Rob Henley from Mayo as well, who has joined Rohini this year. Made a huge difference as well to them. And these experienced guys, like Brian Howard, even from the sideline, these are driving it on. The guys who are really good footballers are now getting confidence as well. And they're playing brilliant football. I mean, they put 7-13 up in, in one of their games. So uh, I think that's, that's the reason, because Rohini have a lot of really good club footballers. But these guys are the important fellas, and these are the fellas that push it on. And, and they're certainly doing that. The champions are ticking along nicely, came through their group with a 100% record, then beat Ballymun Kickums by four points in the quarter-final, but a particularly impressive spell in the first half was at five, four or five points they got without reply, which put them in a really dominant position, and they just strangled the life out of the game then. So uh, Robbie Brennan's crew will take some beating today. Oh, absolutely. I've thought it all year, Declan. You know, they'll take, up, they'll take a lot of beating at any time. You know, you look at the the power and the pace that they have all over the field. But the big thing for them is their work rate. Even when they lose possession of the ball, Declan, they challenge so hard to try to get it back quickly. Fellas tackling all over the field. But then when you look up the field and you look at the forward line, it's it's Declan, it's, a, it's an inter-county forward line. I mean, you have two of the best footballers in the country in the forward line in, in, in Paul Mannion and Shane Walsh. And then add some really good footballers like Dara Mullen, Shane Horton, Shane Cunningham, Hugh Kenny, all these fellas. And, and what they did, Declan, the last day against uh, Ballymun is that they moved, I think it was Keane O'Connor, up to centre-forward for his pace and power. And he caused an awful lot of problems up there. So, okay. look, with that forward line, they're going to be very, very hard to beat. OK, the second semi-final takes place tomorrow afternoon at County Headquarters, near neighbour St. Jude's and Ballyboden St. Enders going head-to-head for the right to be the second team into the county final. This has the makings of a close, tight contest as well, Brian. Who do you see coming through that and why? And I say to Decky, does this have to finish on the day? You know, the way you have to finish off semi-finals because I think this is going to be a really tight game. Both teams have been playing quite well in the championship. Bowden, very good all year. And so it, it, it will be an interesting one. And as you say, it's a real local derby. But again, you know, when I look up the field and I see the forwards that are there, 
you know, I mean, you have the Bascals. Ryan Bascal, to me, is probably one of the best club um, forwards in the way that he dictates things for for uh, Ballyboden. And then you have Colin Bascal, Ross McGarry, Warren Egan is playing very well. And now Ryan Dwyer is beginning to get scores. So very good forward line there. And then then you look at Jude's, uh, Dara Rooney from Leitrim. I think I think Declan he scored one seven the last day. Spot on, Brian. Dean yeah. Connerton and Pat Villan. Like these fellas, really good forwards. So I just think whatever defence comes out on top, they'll win the game. But I just have a funny feeling that we could be ending up and draw in this game, and I'm not sure whether it finishes on the day or whether we will have another go at it. Ah, very interesting indeed, Brian. Thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the games in Parnell over the course of the weekend. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you. Gramina Margaret. Reg, just before we go, some sympathies to the Brady family initially of uh, St. Anne's out in Borna Brina on the sad passing of Frank. His funeral takes place this morning. He was a former secretary of the junior board for many years, a referee and a coordinator of officials. And also sympathies to the family of the late Tom Fitzpatrick, a legendary figure in Cumann and Munskull circles in Dublin for over 50 years. He was the former GPO at St. Pat's in Drumcondra as well. And he was in charge of the Dublin Minor Hurlers in 2005 when they won their first title in 22 years. So sympathies to both families there on their sad losses during the course of the week, Reg. Absolutely. Thank you, Declan. Thank you, Sean Lane and Brian Talty as well for that uh, fantastic roundup on all things GA. Dublin's Talking Sport. It's been a, an interesting uh, couple of games in the League of Ireland last night. Uh, Derry, you'd have to say, slipping up in their match against Drogheda and a nil-all draw. De, Drogheda down to 10 men in that as well. Delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley. Good morning, Al. How are you? I'm good, Reggie. Yourself? Yeah, not so bad. Yeah, as I said in the intro, there bit of a slip up there from Derry. It has to be said yesterday. Um, nil all, letting Rovers off the hook um, somewhat. Uh, disappointing for them. Yeah, it's not the first time they've slipped up either, Reggie. Mm. Um, they got beaten by Sligo Rovers a couple of weeks back as well, when they also had an opportunity to gain some points. So they've only themselves to blame, as do all the other clubs that have been chasing down Shamrock Rovers because they've had ample opportunity to try and capitalise on slip-ups from Shamrock Rovers, and none of them have capitalised. So I felt last week after the win for Shamrock Rovers that the league is done. I think it's even more done now after the results last night. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for Shelburne, though, uh, that top four slot back in the reckoning again after a 1-0 victory over Dundalk. So um, I saw a... A uh, couple of photos this morning of a smiling um, Damien Duff in the stands, it has to be said, <laughs> relegated to the stands, but happy enough getting that result and that top four spot there at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. He's done a phenomenal job, Reggie. Like their form over the last kind of nine, ten games has been unbelievable. Bar that defeat to Shamrock Rovers last week, they've been the form team in the league. And to pick up the three points last night, an important game against one of your rivals, Dundalk, going for that four place. Um, it was a huge victory, and he has. He's done a brilliant job. If they were to secure that European place, this year um, I think he's in the reckoning for manager of the year himself and you mentioned Rahada there as well who've had a brilliant season considering the budgets they're working off I think himself and Kevin uh, Damien Duff and Kevin Doherty are definitely in the running for manager of the year for the jobs that both of them have done at their respective clubs Absolutely, yeah. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on that and see where that goes. Okay, it is FAI Cup as well this weekend, today and tomorrow, semi-finals. Um, not unusual for First Division clubs to make the FAI Cup semi-finals. Going on beyond that can be a little bit more difficult, but today seems uh, sees Go United taking on Bowes. Bowes, obvious favourites in this one, but um, what are your thoughts? Will, they, uh, will Go United put up a, a decent challenge to them? Yeah, I think they will, Reggie. Uh, you're you're 100% right. Those will be favourites, obviously, the Premier Division team. But Galway have totally annihilated the opposition in the First Division. They're on 85 points. They've scored 89 goals. They've had an unbelievable season, really. So uh, they're going into this game in huge confidence. Home advantage as well. There'll be a big crowd. So this will be a really difficult game for Bohemians. And uh, I'm sure they're fully aware of that. We've seen what Galway did to Dundalk in the last round as well. So it won't hold any fear for them opposition, um, I suppose, Premier Division opposition coming to town won't hold any fear for them. So I think it's a really difficult game for Bohemians. But I do think they will just shade it because of the bit of extra quality that they will have, especially in the top end of the pitch for Afal Abbey. But I do think it's going to be a tough game for them. Mm, absolutely, Declan. Yeah, good morning, Al. Hi, Declan. I wasn't quite sure how the dynamic between John Caulfield and Ollie Horgan was going to work at, at Galway, but we, the two vastly experienced people with, with, within the game. But it has worked really, really well for them. And I wouldn't put it past them uh, getting a, an Aviva Stadium ticket for the final. 
Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, Declan. As yeah, the two games over the weekend, I think this is the toughest one to call. I'm working on the game tomorrow and I'm looking forward to that, but I do think St. Pat's will have enough to beat Cork City. Again, it'll be difficult, obviously, home opposition to be a big crowd in Turner's Cross, but I just think their form overall this season has been very, very poor. They're very reliant on Keating uh, up front who scored the goals for them, and if he has a quiet day, I can't see where the goals are going to come from for Cork, and I think Pat's will have too much. But you're right about Galway. This will be the toughest one to call. Um, John Coffey and, and Ollie Horgan I don't know what the, the magic ingredient with those two but they have done a good job and um, I suppose they do they're fully entitled to win the first division as well Declan you notice they're on a big budget down there compared to the first division rivals so they should be winning their full time uh, they should be winning the first division but I don't think this will hold any fair for them and, and Bowes will be under no illusion just how difficult the game will be but I do think Bowes will just shade it yeah. I think from a Cork perspective obviously the bigger game for them is in a couple of weeks time in the relegation playoff which I think they're almost certainly in now after draw to picking up the point uh, last night but again you know they, they've had success in the cup in, in recent times as well and uh, they'll be only too happy to, to get to the Aviva if they can but St. Pat's certainly uh, if they do get to the final will have done it the hard way because they've been away from home all the way through yeah, and again tomorrow, a tough one to go down to Cork. Um, but I just think Cork, you know yourself, Declan, watching the league all year, they've conceded so many goals, over 50 goals. Um, they're reliant on Keating. I think they should have got a manager when Colin Healy left. Obviously, put Lehman in charge, and that hasn't worked out at all. Um, they're in the habit of losing, and I expect them to lose tomorrow as well. I think Pat under John Daly, even though they haven't been as good in the last three or four weeks, their form since he's taken over has been top of the form table in 19 games. They're even ahead of Shamrock over, so... It just goes to show the job that he's done since he's come in, and I do think they'll get the job done tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, moving across the water, I have to discuss the controversy from last week with you, Alan. Uh, this is huge, really, and I mean, it, it's led to VAR and Premier League bringing in um, a new protocol. What that protocol is, is to enhance the clarity of communication between the referee and VAR team in relation to on-field decisions. Now, I don't know how that's new protocol. That, surely to God, would have been standard protocol. But, um, like, this is... It's actually huge in terms of the league and the season. Klopp calling for a replay. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's absolutely mega, um, Reggie. And as you said, a new protocol, to me, it just seems we'll do it better or we'll try and do it better. Uh, And as you say, everything that you've read out there in that kind of uh, sentence basically tells you that it should have been standard protocol from day one. This should never have needed to be introduced but we all know why it's introduced because of the chaos that ensued last week and we were at the game right we were over there in yeah. and from a spectator's point of view you don't get a sense whatsoever in the ground that there's any sort of chaos happening yeah. you just presume that it comes up on the screen the VR check you presume that they check it and obviously they get it right and you just move on it was only when we came out of the ground that we realised just how, how much of a mess was made and how badly it was and then obviously the the audio was released and it's just chaotic in that box like and even for anyone just sitting whether you're in the ground or whether you're sitting at home when it when something like that happens the first thing you look at and think is he onside is he offside and you can nearly tell yourself just sitting at home and then if it's tight one you think to go and check it but to me it seems like they weren't even paying attention in that box mm. and i don't know then in the moment did the freeze because it was the video operator was the only one that seemed to deck it and then a major problem that I have with refereeing, not just in terms of VR, but refereeing in general over the last few seasons as well, Reggie. And, and this could have been sorted out in the space of two or three minutes if common sense prevailed. But they don't allow for common sense because as soon as the video operator realised it was a mistake and then they said, we need to stop the game, we need to stop the game. He's wrong, we can't stop the game because the free kick had restarted and, and the game had restarted. And that's taken all the common sense out of decisions because yeah. if they had to go to the referee at that stage and say look we've made a howler up here you need to go to Klopp and Postacoglu and explain that we've made a mistake a big mistake and we need to reward a goal I think if you went over and explained that to the two managers they would live with that and they'd deal with it and you'd Absolutely. get out of the game Absolutely. and you wouldn't be dealing with five, six days later all this chaos and as you say <clears> it might rear its head again Reggie when we come to the end of the season if, if Man City win the league by a point to Liverpool or if it's a Champions League Absolutely, game and Liverpool yeah. missed out by a point there's going to be it's going to come back around again and it's going to be like I mean we saw it last night in the rugby as well there was an incident where you know the French 
it was all French in Lyon. It was all French there. And they, they influenced the decision by a referee yeah. where VAR had come in on a tackle. The initial reaction of the referee was that it went onto the chest and then onto the head. But the crowd reaction changed that and it led to the disallowing uh, of a try. So it's the opposite of what we're talking about here. But uh, at the end of the day, I think what you're saying is absolutely true that um, the, the managers, the players, everybody will realise, look, it is what it is. The mistake was made. VAR made a mistake, but we can fix it. Um, and it should have been. And clear communication is hardly the answer. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought up the rugby as well, Reggie, because I don't want to compare the two. But if there's something where there's best practice at play and the rugby have it nailed in terms of their communication between their on-field referee and their VAR, that's where the football needs to follow suit and listen and, and learn from them and basically, if that's best practice across sport, which I think it is rugby, it's so clear and concise, the message that's sent up to the, the, the TMO, isn't it, in, in, in rugby. Mm. And it's a clear question. Can I award a try? Did he ground the ball? Like there's, the, the stuff I listened to in that, the audio, they were, all right, mate, yeah, great, well played, mate, brilliant, yeah, the process, all this kind of nonsense was going yeah, on. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just, uh, when you think of the money that's at play here in this industry for the Premier League, the biggest league in the world, and to be making mistakes like that, this was supposed to rule out these kind of howlers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that the reality is it took rugby a while to get the hang of it as well. Um, and it's not perfect. And in my opinion, last night wasn't perfect. I think uh, they were influenced by the crowd in the decision that was made, uh, which can be unfair. And it tends to go against the weaker nations when that is the situation. Uh, and that could, could possibly be said of last night. But uh, it's not perfect. But yes, sport should interact with each other and you know cross-reference each other and look at the ways that, that it has been done if they're going to continue to use VAR which is the case it's you know it's not they're never going to go back um, No it's there to stay unfortunately yeah. I, I was never a fan of it Reggie I, I don't mind the goal line technology and uh, the offside because it's definitive Yeah, uh, it's the subjective ones that I all because you're still it's still a human on the pitch going up to a human in the box with different opinions so I hate that kind of stuff. Yeah. But anything that's definitive in terms of goal line or when they draw the line with the offside, I can deal with that and live with that. Absolutely. Okay, well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for, Alan. Great chatting to you, and we'll catch up with you again next week. All right, thanks for me, lad. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>